the mic drop podcast and i'm your host delvin cox and with me as always is my brother i am vision say what's up brother what's up y'all out there in the podcast world this is vision good 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 good. everything good right now man give us your topic what's on your mind today man um i forgot what i had texted you what did i text you it was something dealing with um well, it was several. Let's talk. Start off with the first one. The first topic you came up with was being a productive male employee in a male and dominant field. I want to hear yeah. what your thoughts was on that and what exactly you meant by that. Well, a lot of jobs that we minority males seem to be able to get today, on average, are jobs that a lot of us are overqualified to do. Um, with that being said, sometimes it's not about what you qualify to do. You know, I look at things from a, a divine perspective. Sometimes you're placed in places where you are for a particular reason, not necessarily for yourself, but possibly to help others as well as help yourself to grow and achieve different, I guess, characteristics and traits admirable to be in. A man. So, you know, like, I came up with that idea because I was at work last week, I think, when I text you that topic with a series of other topics. And in the beginning, you know, when I was doing this job at the warehouse, I know what I'm qualified to do. You know, having my bachelor's and master's in entertainment business, there's a certain feel I really actually want to be in. But sometimes, you know, you have to be grateful for your start opportunities, so to speak. And I wasn't grateful, you know, when I worked at the arena. And when I sit and looked at the place where I was and what could have happened if I would have just thought about the opportunities presented to me at the time, I could have took better advantage of that job and probably been where I wanted to be because I'm in the field of entertainment business after all. So it's not about what I know and how good I am at doing it. It's more about who I know and who can get me where I want to be. So being in this warehouse, you know, I learned from that lesson of not really being grateful for the job I had at the time. And I still work at different arenas and stadiums because I like that venue set and it's helped me to understand how things are ran on a more grand scale. But getting back to this warehouse, you know, I work with a lot of African-Americans, some hood, most hood actually. And they're not grateful for the job that they got. They, they take advantage of the job, so to speak, like their breaks, not coming back on break, you know, off their breaks on time or off lunch on time, things of that nature and stuff like that. And me having an entrepreneurial mindset, I look at that and I wonder why different races categorize us and depict us in certain movies that we're lazy and we look for the easy way out and we look for shortcuts and we're more likely to be gangsters and thugs and you know all this type of stuff so I was wondering why is it there's a lack of professionalism in those kind of general labor workplaces with African Americans you know and I look at how the Spanish work because we really don't work with nothing else but Spanish I'm out there in Miramar so it's like it's a predominantly Spanish warehouse obviously the African Americans do all the hard work 
because there's no Spanish people in receiving. You know, everybody says everybody come in this way and come in this side, blah, 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 all that crap. But since I've been back there, it's just nothing but African-Americans who can handle that kind of workload. And I've been moved into shipping and do seem to be hating because I'm in another area now and I haven't been there for so long. So I guess that's where that topic came from when I first came up with the um, idea when I texted to you because I was looking at my own work environment and, and like thinking about how people categorize us by our work ethic, by our characteristics, by things that they think black people do. So yeah. Well, my feedback on this is simply this. For, shoot, as long as I've known, black people have generally been known as workhorses, mules. History shows that from back in the days where we were brought over here on slave ships to do manual labor. And I think that mindset hasn't all the way left us. Because you generally look at guys, we generally, African Americans generally tend to go into manual labor settings, go into the workforce, kind of want to use their hands. You generally see them with things like construction, even playing sports. Sports, like playing football, a perfect example. It's a physical sport. It's something you do with your hand. Yes, psychological elements to it, but it's mostly things you do with your hands. It's something that's been, been I guess you could say, indebted in our DNA since almost the beginning of the time. I don't think it's going to change. There's plenty of black brothers out there using their brains to get ahead in life. I was one of them, for, for a perfect example. But when you have so much long history of us being the type of people who want to go out, every time you think about black people, what do they always say? Strong black men. Black men are always strong, full of pride. Strong black men. That's generally the consistency they got. They work hard, but, you know, another thing about us is we kind of can be cocky when we know our job. And that's kind of where that falls apart. Once we get ahead, a lot of black people, not, not necessarily generalized, but a lot of African Americans, when they get good at their job, they tend to want to be a little cocky at it. Oh, okay, you don't have to tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing. I got this. I got this. You know, we, we don't like to ask for help. That's one thing I can say for a fact. We do not like to ask for help. We like to generally do things for ourselves, by ourselves. If we're going to be successful. We let it ride on our success. And that's kind of one of our faults. What are your yeah, thoughts on what I, I was see saying? That with the ones I work with. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird, man, because I understand what you're saying, but everywhere I've been from Baltimore down in the DC, when I used to work at Office Movers, and certain jobs where I worked in places in Georgia. And then coming here, and even when I was up in Virginia, like, I'm not saying that, you know, our people are lazy or anything of that sort, but that work ethic that was instilled, I guess, in, a, in, genera- in our generation and, and generations before us is not in this generation now. Like, I see more brothers begging at the goddamn corner store for change to catch a bus that they ain't never catching than I see motherfuckers at work actually working but that could be a generational thing too it's not necessarily a black or white thing it's kind of like 
more like this generation because this generation has changed a yeah, lot from when we was coming up. It's a generation thing to me. Cause I don't really think it's nothing with this generation. Cause you think about like this. This generation is different. Back in our days, when you wanted to be successful, you had to go out there and get it. When you wanted to be famous, you had to work for it. You wanted to be an entertainer, you had to work for it. Going yeah. doing mixtapes, going out doing shows. Nowadays, you don't necessarily have to do that. You can. You want to be famous? You can just open up a YouTube page, work hard on that, and that can generate you money. You know, it's kind of a different type of situation we have in the society today. You don't necessarily have to be a manual laborer. You don't necessarily have to use your hands or work hard to get what you want to get in life. You really don't even have to leave your house in most cases. This generation has kind of found a way to be successful without putting in the work that it necessarily needs to all the time. Not saying that being a YouTuber or doing things on the internet isn't hard. It isn't hard working and time consuming. But you also have to think about the fact that, look, our parents was working hard in the sense where they were like, okay, we got to go work in a steel mill. We got to go do this nine to five every day, work hard, work on our manual labor hands. As we got older, as they got older and our generation was coming up, it was still that. But in different type of ways. Okay, we got to hustle. We got to do this. We got to do this. Some people chose to sell drugs. Some people chose to find honest living. Some people chose to play sports. This generation kind of has it where, okay, we're going to more or less use our brains to get where we want to be at in life. It's not There's nothing wrong with that, but when you become so cerebral, it's something lost there. Just like it's, um, people say about, oh, we're always attached to our cell phones and things like that. That's true, and with us being attached to those cell phones so much and computer, you kind of lose the physical aspect of things. Yeah, you lose the humanity. I mean, look at all these apps and these dating sites. Like, you meeting people virtually. Like, yo, you taking away the human touch, like, of actually knowing or getting to know an individual in real time. You relying on digital love or uh, whatever you want to call it this digital satisfaction that they got going on now and then add to that the fact that a lot of jobs that were done by humans that took tens of thousands of humans to do are now being done by computers and take 5,000 5,000 or 500 people to do yeah, so somebody still has to run the computers that's, yeah so it's not necessarily a manual labor type thing more or less is somebody pressing keys. Cerebral labor. Exactly. So a lot of things have changed. You don't have people out there working on steel mills and stuff like that. You still have people doing construction work, but a lot of that stuff has been done by computers. But, I mean, I saw that up in the VA in Baltimore and at John Hopkins. They have, like, little R2-D2s running around the damn hospital being the runners taking um, blood work and things like that to labs and biopsies and stuff like that instead of people who used to do it so they even got new x-ray machines now that's like basically being you can be x-rayed from a laptop See. like yo take these this this generation is a, is something else <laughs> as technology grows people get lazier point blank it's shown you can just look it up <laughs> When you look at the professionals, I don't even think that they get lazy because they have to learn how to use this technology in order to navigate their 
business climate and stuff like that. So I can't even say that it's okay. Get lazy. Lazy may not be the right word, but more or less be like you're not as hands on as you were before. They're more cerebral. Yeah. There's no need yeah. to be doing the type of work you did before. And so when you bring this generation to do work, like, hey, you got to come do this. You got to come move these blocks and these boards and do this hard work labor. They're looking at you like, what the hell for? They're not used to that. And that's basically what it is. Now, I know plenty of guys who were, who don't know what it is to do a day's work worth of hard work. Because they're so used to having, okay, I press this button, the machine starts. I press this button, the machine stops. And that's their day. I mean, I had a job like that at one point. That's just boring, man. Yeah. When I used to work for um, Boeing up there at um, Maryland and um, Beltsville, I had a laboratory and everything, and I did testing on the turbine engines. And it, at first, it sounds like it's cool, but the shit was like mad boring, man. It was really boring. <laughs> I can imagine just sitting there doing the same thing every day can kind of become monotonous. Yeah, just testing the damn engine. But that's what this generation is, and that's one of the things that people were saying that, you know, as time goes on, man is becoming more, less and less important because machines are doing all of our work. And it's kind of, it's funny because it's kind of the thing that the Terminator movies always talk about where, where what happens when these computers become sentient and they realize, hey, maybe we don't need them no more. It's, it's uh, funny to say that, but it's an actual possibility that we can actually run into because they're already testing these AIs and these AIs are getting smarter, stronger, and faster. So it's only a matter of time before something happens where they realize we may not need humans. And we're really doing it to ourselves, honestly. Because that human touch on things is dwindling more and more every day. Yeah, mankind's closer to developing their own Ultron. Essentially. It's crazy to think about it, but it's actually happening. Because we put so much faith in computers and not enough faith in men. Or women, for that matter. Everything is done on computers. I don't even have to go outside my house to order a pizza or use a phone. I just type. I can just tweet a pizza at Domino's and they'll send me a pizza. Yeah, I saw that during the Super Bowl last year. You can tweet a pizza to Domino's and they, they order. They send you an order for a pizza. I was like, what the fuck kind of world is this? Yeah. I can tweet. I can tweet an image and you're gonna bring me the image I tweeted you. Yeah. I can pick up my phone, press a button, and an Uber be outside me in 10, 15 minutes. I don't even have to call a cab no more. Because that's the society we live in now. If I need to make an appointment to a doctor, I just press a button on my phone and I can make an appointment. Excuse me. Everything is really done over the internet now. Everything is done by computers. There's not much social interaction that people have with each other nowadays. Even even dating, for that matter. All you got to do is get an app on your phone. You like this person, click yes. You don't like this person, click no. Keep it moving. 
There's people out there yeah. who have relationships over the internet. Full-fledged relationships with people over the internet. Never met them in person a day in their life. But that's the society we live in now. And a lot of that has to go back to what you were saying earlier. Is that hey, You got people out here who do their jobs and they're not appreciative of doing that work because they're maybe not used to that work. They kind of feel like it's beneath them. And I've always said that. People kind of take manual laborers like, oh, I'm not doing that. People look down on garbage men and construction workers, not realizing the hard work they put in, the money they make for that hard work. I'm quite sure you can recall when we was in school, and people was like, I want to be a garbage man. People looked at them like they was crazy. Like, what? But there are plenty of successful garbage men out there. Can you hear me? I hear you. I got you. Okay. Yeah. I've done roofing. I've done brick mason work. I've done a lot of construction stuff. I don't really see... Um, it's hard work. I will say that. Um, those are good. Those those are still pretty good jobs. Um, even the garbage man, because it's. I mean, most garbage men depend on the area, or you know, where you where you, what municipality you work for. Some of them make as much as damn near forty five to fifty thousand a year. So, they're not doing pretty damn bad. Exactly. <laughs> If you really, when you think about compared to McDonald's, Walmart, Winn-Dixie, you know, any of these other type of jobs, like, they are doing pretty damn good. So for people to be be looking down on them, like, yo, you need to do your research before you look down on them. Um, As far as labor jobs go, they're not bad jobs, and they are good starts. And at the end of the day, like, like I told people at work, and it was funny, man. I said, this job is for the strong or the court ordered. And some of us, even though we're court ordered, we're strong enough to still endure it. And people look at them and be like, man, what does that mean? I was like, either you're going to be broke or you're going to find a way to make some kind of money. And you're going to be grateful for the opportunity to make it. I was like, so it's either for the strong because everybody who came and quit, that doesn't make them smart. That makes them weak because now they went home. And they don't have a job until the agency finds them a job. You're here. You're getting a paycheck every week. You're getting discounts on furniture sets. Like, yo, this is not a bad deal. It's better than sitting there doing nothing in an economy that's so damn uncertain. So at least you know you got something. So those of us who stuck around and stayed, like, like I've only been there 30 days, and I'm kind of, like, moving a little quick towards probably being permanent, I hope. So that way I got something a little steady for the moment. But that's where that topic came from with me thinking about that. And it's not saying that we, it's not saying anything about being lazy as a race. It's just me talking about the particular environment where I am and environments where I have been. As it pertains to how I see African-Americans work, males predominantly in these type of environments who do the things that type of I kind of said. Okay. Let's get to the next thing you asked about that. You said, what traits and leadership characteristics most employers look for? What do you think about that so far? What characteristics do you think most employers look for? 
say that one more time. One other question you asked me with the text you sent me was, what traits and leadership characteristics most employers look for? Everywhere I've been, from what I've seen, is that willingness to take initiative. That stuff they taught us in the military that a lot of us thought was like some BS. But when you take initiative in certain things, like every every job I took initiative in is where I've excelled at. Instead of sitting there and waiting for something to take place or following orders, I really don't like following orders. So I'm the type, once I know what the job is, as if I was the supervisor, and that's what helps me to excel I guess in certain areas and certain things I've seen that with my brother too so like I know a big thing that I studied with the 21 laws of leadership is that willingness to take initiative to take charge to take blame if something goes wrong you know admit your faults things of that sort and everything like that so what do you got to say on that well I agree. Most places I've been at, they look for people to be a leader. Not only lead with their voice, because a lot of people like to lead with their voice. A lot of people like to just talk, talk, talk. Oh, let's do this, let's do that. But one of the biggest things you could do is lead by example, by doing the right things, by being to work on time, by working hard while you're there, going hard the whole day while you're there, by, by leaving work on time when they need you to push the extra mile, push the extra mile to the limit. You know, a lot of people don't. A lot of people have the, I don't want to have to say this, but a lot of people want to kind of like, if they get a job and they don't, they don't value that job. So they get a job and do half-ass work. They don't be caring because they look at it like, oh, I'm not going to be here for long. This is not my career. But that's not how you should, should go into job, working at any job. You should kind of go into work working like, hey, this might be the only thing I got. Because when you take it for, take a job for granted and you start slacking off on it, when you least expect it, you can lose that job. And you may not be guaranteed to find another job. You may do what you eventually may do, but it's no telling how, many, how much time can go by before you find another job. People kind of take their yeah. work for granted. You know, and you never appreciate a job until you don't have none. So people yeah, sit there. That's what I was telling these guys at work. Cause, um, okay, with you saying that, we do a minimum of three trucks a day, and that's rare. But the maximum we do is four trucks a day. The most we've done is six. That's two WTs and two POs. What that means is we take the pallets off. We have to break mixed pallets down, separate pallets, and make original pallets for the original product. So everything's on one dang on pallet. So it's easy to find a store in the warehouse. The WTs is floor loaded trailers. We have to put them on pallets and then we store it in the warehouse. And that's usually the hardest stuff to do. So what ends up happening is um, once you set a standard, is what I was telling these brothers, is like when you set a standard at the workplace, your boss pays attention to that standard and not your supervisor, but the department head is paying attention to the standard. So, so three weeks, we're doing four trailers a day. He expects this particular crew that's in the warehouse to do four trailers a day. 
the minute we start slacking and we only doing two trails, somebody within the crew has to go. Like everybody's not gonna like the crew's gonna change up. So since I've been there, the crew done changed up three times. And I kept trying to tell them like, yo, you can work at your own pace and think that that's cool, but if this dude is used to a certain output from this crew, then it is our job to be productive because if not, the crew gets changed. I was like, and everybody was slow, try to ask me to slow down or stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm working at the pace that I'm comfortable working at. I'm not trying to compete with you and nor you should be trying to compete with me, but this is the pace I'm comfortable working at. So I'm going to work at the pace that's comfortable for me until I'm hurt or whatever the case is and I have to slow down. But my productivity is not going to go down because you want me to appease to your comfortability because that can cause me my job. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to get them to understand. Like productivity is a very big thing when you're dealing with business. So you can't be sitting here thinking you can bullshit your way through because you're going to bullshit your way through a whole year and never go permanent. Then they let your ass go and replace you. Then what? Let me cut into what you were saying about that. Let me tell you about a lazy motherfucker. Lazy motherfuckers always want people to be lazy with their ass. What the fuck? It's always a lazy motherfucker like, oh, why are you working so hard? Fuck that. I'm going hard when I'm at work. Lazy motherfuckers always want to be, don't want to be lazy by themselves. You want to be lazy by yourself? Do that shit on your own. I'm coming here to work hard and get my shit done. I want to be doing this shit so I can go on my day of my life. It's always a lazy motherfucker who wants to sit there and try to tell you how to do your fucking job. Always. Man, why are you working so hard? Why are you going so fast, man? Why are you not going faster? That's what I got to say about that. I hate when people do that. When they're trying to tell you, you working too fast or you working too hard. Don't tell me how to fuck do my job. You work hard just like I'm doing. The job call is paying you to work hard. Not to be a lazy fuck about shit. Nah, I ain't saying go kill yourself, because I'm, I'm only making them so much, so I ain't gonna go out there and kill myself. No, don't go kill yourself, but... I will do what I can to get myself in a position to move up. Yeah, I never say go kill yourself, not but... Stay, not stay on the same level. It's always somebody who see you working hard and be like, nah, you working too hard. Nah, it don't work that way. Oh well, yeah, everywhere I've been with these labor jobs, it's always been like that. <laughs> well, let's get on to the other topic you had for me today. When you were talking about T.I. basically being at the forefront of the Black Lives Matter movement. What do you think about that so far? I mean, I like it from what I've heard from that song Warzone and there's another one he's done. But I need to look a little more into it. I didn't get a chance to do a little more research into it. And I see what he says. Uh, little Wayne about something about he didn't like what he said when you brought that up in that podcast. And that, that kind of spawned him, I guess, into him really taking that role a little more serious. So I'm not going to really say too much more into it until I actually... see a little more into that what do you think about it okay let me play devil's advocate for a minute is T.I. the right person 
to be leading this movement. I'm playing devil's advocate. I say this due to the fact that with his background, where he's had multiple gun cases and gun charges, and he's been arrested for situations like that. He does he has a sketch now. Don't get me wrong, T.I. does a lot for his community, and he has done a lot since then. But it's almost a situation where you look at his background and be like, hold up. Are you the guy that needs to be leading us right now at this fore- in the forefront of this? Yeah. I don't feel... I didn't want to talk about all that because that's why I felt a certain way about it. Because it's like, you know, you... You did a year in jail, dude. <laughs> for gun charges. Uh, for gun charges and stuff like that. So, But see, I'll bring it up because the fact of the matter is when you're talking about Black Lives Matter and things like that, the critics going to look at T.I. and the first thing they're going to say is, well, all your real rap lyrics are negative. You're talking about killing people. You're talking about selling drugs. Same thing they did with Tupac. Yeah, exactly. You got arrested for gun charges. And this is the funny thing that I always say about hip-hop. When it comes to hip-hop, anything you say in a song has to be real. If you kill a thousand niggas in a song, it has to be real. You have to be about that life. You have to be a killer all of a sudden. But if you're watching a movie and Arnold Schwarzenegger is blowing off a thousand people's head, nobody in their right mind believes that Arnold Schwarzenegger is actually blowing off these people's heads. They look at it as entertainment. But hip-hop does not get looked at as entertainment. And it actually gets used against you in court. So if you're making songs about killing people, like for a perfect example of that is the Snoop Dogg murder case. Yeah, the murder was the case that they gave me. Yeah, the actual case for that. They was actually bringing up his lyrics during the trial. They tried to use that against him during the trial. And that always happens to, in hip-hop. Whereas, if let's say an actor was to get arrested for a violent crime, you're not going to bring up that actor's act roles as motive for him getting arrested. True. So, so why is it always, when it comes to hip-hop and music, we always got to bring up, oh, your lyrics are violent. Therefore, you are violent, as opposed to like when it's something we don't see it for what it is. Because 90% of hip hop rappers are, are just pure entertainment. They're not living that life they talk about. None of these guys are killing anybody. Let's get that straight right now. Because if they were, a lot of people would be in jail for murder. Not that many people are getting away with murder. That's true. All these rappers are out here talking about busting guns and shooting people like that. I guarantee you, most of them are not busting a fucking grape in the fruit fight. But yet and still, when it comes to hip hop, their lyrics are. I wouldn't call that hip hop, man. That's hardcore. Yeah, you can say it's hardcore rap. But it's always under scrutiny for their lyrics. Like I said, we don't look at Sylvester Stallone movies and be like, oh, he's killing all these people in movies, so he must be a violent person. It's only done with hip-hop. It's only done with stuff of black culture. Yes, exactly. Let's just make it that way. 
let's not even just call it a music thing. It's just that's how they portray black culture. We could even go take it to um rock and roll music. You never hear the stereotypes about rock and roll music that you hear about hip hop. Ozzy Osbourne and they, and they making music to the devil. Exactly, Ozzy Osbourne bit her head off a bat in a concert. We're not sitting there talking about, oh, Ozzy Osbourne's a killer. He's killing people. But when it comes to hip-hop, he's talking about killing people and smacking bitches and whatnot, whatnot. Oh, he must be living his life. People who watch Scarface the movie don't think Al Pacino's actually Scarface. But they hear Scarface the rapper and feel like, okay, he must be really doing these things. That's why we have a hip-hop police. Man. That's why I said I was kind of touchy about all of that. What was the next topic? Oh, you want to talk about the NBA season that just recently started back up. What do you think so far about the NBA season? A lot of drama. A lot of fines for no reason. Like with Steph Curry recently getting fined for snapping on the refs on, um, I think, on an interview or something of the sort. It's a lot of drama in this NBA season, man. I don't know what to think about the Heat. Really. Because there's, I really don't see no consistency with them just yet. It's still early in the season, of course. Whiteside doing his thing, but I don't know what they got. Him, really him. <laughs> I have not been watching them that Big much moments. because yeah. I have been utterly depressed. I miss D Wade, and I'm like, oh my god, why did they let him go? But that was a front office thing, man. By that. <laughs> I just wondered, I want to know if they're going to be able to make the playoffs. I see him coming back after All-Star Weekend, though. Come back where? To Miami? I believe he would, man. I don't think so. Best case scenario. The right amount that he would. Best case scenario, I can see him ending his career in Miami. Because I think that man's feeling was hurt. All these times he done took pay cuts for the team after pay cuts for the team. It comes a point in time where you got to be like, you know what? We need to get this man his proper due. And Miami did not want to do that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think. Of course he, he was hurt. Because he's the reason you even had a chance to create the legacy you built here. He brought the first one and then he adjusted for you to bring two more. Exactly. And then the biggest, the biggest slap in the face was you kept a player on the team who wasn't even healthy enough to keep playing. Yeah. And still paid him as if he yeah. paid, played, played. And that was like, I think that was a biggest slap in the face because he expected them to, to re-sign Whiteside before him. But Bosh should have been gone a long time ago. Yeah. The, the blood clots is a serious issue, especially being in the athletic world. So that was the dumbest move on the Heat's part. But for whatever reason, they couldn't let Bosh go. Bosh covered himself. So, you know, that dumb move was showing he'd made a smart move because he still was covered and he still was able to get some kind of compensation. 
So his family's taken care of. So in the end, man, it's all business and politics. Yeah. That's what ultimately that's what fucked up deal for Wade. Yeah, I think Wade kind of wanted not to say like like a Kobe deal. Not necessarily a Kobe deal in the sense with that much money. But you know, Kobe's last season with the team, they were just paying him to be there. It wasn't like he was that productive well, or anything like that. But they were paying him to show, hey, thank you for what you did. I think Wade wanted a little bit of that. Like, hey, show me that you appreciate me. And the Heat was like, Pacey was like, fuck it, leave. And, which I honestly think, they didn't think he was going to leave. Which was naive on their part. They didn't think he was going to leave because all these times he sat there and said, you know what, I'll sacrifice for the team, I'll sacrifice for the team. They didn't think he was going to leave. And it bit him in the ass. Yeah. Especially when um, Riley ain't even talked to the man. Supposedly they didn't speak until they met. They had that first meeting this season. I don't know if I believe all that. Yeah. But um, I know they didn't talk for a minute. So that ultimately also made his decision fall. So I don't know, man. But I don't expect the season to end well. Yeah. I don't expect this season to end well. Me neither. Did you hear the whole all the talk about Phil Jackson's comments about LeBron James posse? Yeah. So what did you think about that? Say that one again. Oh, let me first let me read you the comments that Phil Jackson said about LeBron James Posse. Jackson was recently interviewed by ESPN's Jackie McCullen and was revisiting James' departure from Miami Heat to the Cleveland Cavaliers in the summer of 2014 and how that decision affected Miami Heat President Pat Riley. Here's what he had to say. It had to hurt when they lost LeBron, Jackson said. That definitely was a slap in the face. But there was a lot of little things that came out of that. When LeBron was playing with the Heat, they went to Cleveland, and then he wanted to spend the night. They don't do overnights. Teams just don't. So now Coach Spolstra has to text Riley and say, what do I do in this situation? And Pat, who has Iron Fist Rules answer, you are on the plane. You are with this team. You can't hold up a team because you and your mom and your posse wants to spend an extra night in Cleveland. I've always thought Pat had this really nice vibe with his guys, but something happened there where it broke down. I do know LeBron likes special treatment. He needs things this, his way. Now, do you think the term posse was offensive in that context? I don't know. They carried themselves like they were that. So, I, I guess you call it as you see it. Yeah, I think it's kind of overblown because the word posse is not a derogatory term. It's basically a crew. A clip. Oh, yeah, a clip, yeah. a crew. And yeah. those who watch What's been going on with the LeBron James situation is kind of like what he said. Is a sense is true. 
LeBron likes things his way. And if he doesn't get things his way, him and his crew are leaving. That's why he left Miami. And he didn't get his way. There were several reports during his departure that a lot of the things that he wanted his way were not happening. Not only in terms of players and transactions, but peripheral treatment to the people who he's with. Those things wasn't happening. So now that Phil Jackson came out and said something about it, it's a big hullabaloo about him using the word posse. Well, people are saying, well, should he have said that? Should they have been called a posse? Is that offensive? My take on it is it's not offensive. When I play ball, they call us the same thing, man. So they didn't say gang. You know, they didn't say homies. I look at it like this. It's one of those situations where they're kind of reaching on that one. Point blank. They're reaching. We can't sit here and cry. I don't know. But we can't sit there and cry wolf every time we want to say something's racist or offensive. Everything can't be fucking offensive. Point blank. Well, we are coming into the new era of an offensive America. (laughs) Yes. That's my point. With the American that we're coming into right now, everything can't be fucking offensive. Because some old 70-year-old white man says, a posse, we can't get offended by that shit. There's plenty of more things to get offended and mad about. And then there's different ways to handle your anger once you get mad about something. You ain't got to go out there and riot and do all this crazy stuff. There's constructive ways to handle these issues. That is also very true. We're going to save that all for the next one. Yes. (laughs) Very true. All right. I'm going to hit you with a little surprise this week. I want to debut a topic that we talked about before this show started. And I want to debut on this episode. And it's simple. Each week, one of us is going to talk about an influential album, whether it's hip-hop or not, and speak on to people why they should get it. I will start this week. I have no idea what we're going to call it, the topic, but that's what it is. Each one of us is going to talk about an album, whether it's hip-hop or not, that we recommend people to get. Doesn't have to necessarily be hip hop. Doesn't have to, it can be rock and roll for all I care. Just a dope ass album. Maybe out now, or maybe from the past that people should get. So I think I'll start this week. My first pick is Ghostface Killer, Supreme Clientele. Anybody why, why did you pick Ghostface Killer, Supreme Clientele? <laughs> Because Ghostface has a unique style that doesn't always translate well, but the, the sonically, I think Supreme Clientele is one of his best albums. It has a yeah. it has a cohesive feel to it with all the old bluesy type loops to it, and it's just hard spitting. Ghostface is spitting from start to beginning. And I think every fan, not only Ghostface, 
But hip hop fans should check out the album. I think this is the most accessible Ghostface album. If you're gonna pick up a Ghostface album, what you can listen to, like, all right, this is what I want to listen to. It's just to get a feel of who Ghostface is. I think that was the yeah. perfect one to start with. Yeah, okay. I can go with that. They made, they, don't get me wrong, there's probably albums that are better. Like, I love Iron Man, for example. But yeah, I think. Iron Man was a great album. But I think, as a first time Ghostface listen, I think Supreme Clientele will probably be the perfect one to start with. Alright, I, I can rock with that. Alright, cool. Next week, you come up with one, I guess. Doesn't have to be hip hop. Yeah, I already got you. Doesn't have to be hip hop. This one's gonna be hip hop. Cool, cool, cool. I was listening to him today. <laughs> All right, I'll let you debut that one next week. All right. Cool, cool. Let's give out our info. All right, as usual, you can find all the info for anything GCMG at GCMG. 305.wordpress.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast services. Like, subscribe, and share. Follow me on Twitter at Delva underscore Cox. Follow the mic drop pod. There you go. Give out your I am Vision. I am V underscore Z I O N. And follow the mic drop pod at the mic drop pod. And on IG at the mic drop pod 305. Cool, cool, cool. As always, mic drop pod, and we are out. Peace.